As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible, if you will open it up to the book of Ephesians, we are beginning a new series of messages today where we will work through this entire book. That's actually my favorite kind of preaching. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in our Bible study is we tend to pull verses out and and just look at that verse, but we don't actually look at them within the context. And so if you preach through sections of Scripture, if you study the Bible in context, you often find its meaning to become much, much more rich. And so we're going to be going through this book, this series. We've thought of a, we were thinking of a lot of different titles, and we came up with one. We're going to call it Ephesians, okay? So that's that's the name of the, of the series is the Ephesians series, and we'll be working through it verse by verse. Well, a few years back, Stacy and I were celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary, and so we went to Estes Park, Colorado. Anybody ever been to Estes Park? It's a beautiful mountain town. Recommend it. There's a beautiful river that runs through it, just very, very scenic. And while we were there, we decided to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park. And so we drove up there, took the bus on up to the high country, and there we hiked for about a mile and a half, And we came up to this beautiful waterfall named Alberta Falls. I mean, it is a gorgeous waterfall. It's a large waterfall, and one of the things that I love about it is at the base, you have these big rocks. And so you can actually go out and sit on these rocks and have the water just flowing all around you. You can also die if you fall off the rocks, but that's beside the point. But anyway, I I just love that waterfall, and it was there that I really began falling in love with spending time in the mountains. Uh, When I am able to spend some time in the mountains, it really connects me to the Lord, and it's just a very refreshing time in my soul. So a few years later, I got to go back to that waterfall. And again, I enjoyed so much the time there at the waterfall, but I decided, you know, let's keep on going up the mountain. So we hiked about three or four miles further up up the mountain, and we came to this place called Lake Mills. And there I was sitting beside that mountain lake, very tranquil environment, and I began to see how things fit together. Off in the distance, you could see these mountains, and they were 10,000 foot and up mountains, and they all were snow-capped. And you could see that ultimately what was happening was the snow would melt, it would come down the mountains, there was actually a glacier in one of those mountains, and as it would melt the water would flow into these mountain lakes. It would flow into these streams. It would ultimately come together to form the waterfall. And then the water would even come into the river, which went all the way down through the town. And so I began seeing this connectivity, how nothing was an accident and everything that I'd experienced throughout the course of the day, it was actually connected together. Sometimes, though, you have to move beyond the waterfall for you to be able to see that. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, we begin to see a little bit of the connectivity of our salvation. In verse 1, the scriptures begin with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now remember, Paul was called to be an apostle on the road to Damascus. He was called by the will of God, and he writes to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you. And peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Now, zero in on that section right there. Who has blessed us in Christ. Notice in verse 1, 
he says he is writing this to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. This idea of those who are in Christ is a key concept within this passage. And he says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now this morning, uh, this is not going to be a read a verse of scripture, tell a couple stories, we all hold hands and sing and cry kind of message. This is going to be a little bit of a deeper message. We're going to get into the deep end. We're going to look at some deep theological truths. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, to be perfectly honest, confuses a lot of people. It doesn't need to confuse you. It is easily understood. If you can answer three theological questions, then you will be able to understand the passage. And so my prayer is that in the next 30 minutes, when I finish this sermon, maybe 34, but in the next 30 minutes, whenever I finish this sermon, that you will be able to have at least a grasp on the answers to these three questions. Number one, what does it mean to be in Christ? Number two, what are the blessings, the spiritual blessings of being in Christ? And number three, how can I know that I am in Christ? So question number one, what does it mean to be in Christ? Whenever I baptize someone, it is illustrating what it means to be in Christ. Now, baptism is symbolic in its nature. I tell folks that the water that we use in baptism, it's not holy water. It comes from the Murphy water supply. It's just normal water like we use every single day. But baptism is an ancient ceremony which signifies a lot of spiritual truths. Number one, it signifies the fact that a person has placed uh, his or her faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, that's a personal decision. It's a matter of the heart. You can say a prayer, but it ultimately needs to be something, a conversion of the heart that has taken place within you. And baptism is an outward sign of that conversion. We do it before the congregation because when someone is baptized, that's whenever they initially become a member of the church. The symbolism is very, very rich. They, as they sit in the water or stand in the water, it is symbolic of Christ on the cross. And then we take them beneath the water, and we do not leave them beneath the water. And that's very important to the whole story uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if we leave you beneath the water, we're committing a crime. Uh, number two, uh, Christ rose from the dead. And so just as Christ rose from the dead, we bring you back up out of the water. And often the minister might say something along the lines of, to walk in newness of life. Well, this is also symbolic of how whenever you become a believer in Christ, that God sees you in Christ. So he no longer sees you just as an individual. He no longer sees me just as Lash Banks, someone who has sinned, someone who has done wrong, someone who falls short of God's glorious standards. Now God sees me because of faith in Christ, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God sees me in Christ. 
Romans 6 alludes to that. Uh, A spiritual baptism in verse 3, it says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we were buried with him by baptism and death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. So God sees me in Christ as a believer, and because of that, I experience the forgiveness of Christ that only comes through what Christ has done for me on the cross and through his resurrection. Being in Christ means that I am God's child because he sees me through the perfection of his Son. And that means that I experience the grace and the peace and the blessing that only God can bring. And I, am ter- I, in turn, am to praise God with my life. So make sure that you understand the spiritual concept of what it means to be in Christ. God sees me in Christ as a believer. It's very important because through all these other verses, the Scriptures are going to keep coming back to in Him, in the Messiah, in the Beloved. They're going to keep referring back to what it means to be in Christ. Now, here's question number two. What are the blessings of being in Christ? Well, let's look at verse four. The scriptures say, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless without sin or fault in his sight. So we are chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy, which means pure or set apart, to be blameless, which means without sin or fault in God's sight. You see, the first blessing of being in Christ is that you are holy and blameless in God's sight. Long before you were born, before the creation of the world, before the hanging of the stars, before the sins of Eden, God made a choice that those who are in Christ will be holy and blameless. Now, it's important for you to realize something about the plan of God. To realize about the cross, it was not an oops. It wasn't a deal where Jesus came to earth and began teaching his message and then people rejected him and so God had to go to plan B and he created the cross and that's how he would redeem the world. As God looked out before his creation was ever established, he established that his plan would involve the cross and those who are in Christ would be holy and blameless because they are in Christ. At the end of verse 4, it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with, and there's our idea again, in the beloved. So there's a second blessing, and that is that in Christ you have a divine destiny in the family of God. Three years ago, my sister Darla and her husband Wayne adopted a little boy by the name of Braden. Uh, Darla and Wayne had been married for some time. They were a little further along in life, and so they began to think, Uh, We're not ever going to have children. And then through the sovereignty of God, there came a little boy into their life by the name of Braden. And they have legally adopted him. He is their son. 
He is my nephew. He is not flesh and blood, so to speak, but he is part of our family. He belongs to our family. He has been adopted. Now, the Bible teaches us here that because we are in, the words used are in the beloved or in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God through what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. Because you as a believer have been adopted into the family of God, Jesus is spiritually your older brother. And we are family. Go ahead and turn to the person sitting next to you and look at them. Go ahead and say to them, what's up, sister? Now, I realize that that was probably odd, especially if the person you were talking to was a man. And it was even more odd if you're talking to your spouse. At the same time, even though you might be married, you can be brother and sister spiritually in Christ. We as believers, we are part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. God has willed. And God has predetermined that all who are in the Beloved are also in the family of God. So if you are in Christ, you are a part of the family of God. And as part of the family of God, you experience God's favor, you experience God's grace, you are a dearly loved child, and you are invited to Christmas because you're part of the family of God. In verse 7, the Scriptures continue. We have redemption in Him. There's that idea again. We have redemption in Him through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of His grace. Now, here's a third blessing of being in Christ. You have redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Now, in ancient times, if you owed a debt, you often lost your freedom. If you think about your own financial situation, if you owe money on a car or if you owe money to Citibank or to Chase on a credit card, if you were alive back in biblical days, you might have to become a slave to pay that debt off. You would become a slave to the person uh, that you owed money to until you were able to work long enough for that debt to be redeemed. Now, in many cases, the debt was so large that you could never work it off. And so you would spend your entire life in slavery. And the children that were born to you, they would be born in slavery. So the spiritual imagery here is that we owe a debt. We owe a spiritual debt. How did you find yourself in debt? You committed a trespass against the holiness of God. God had established His law through the Old Testament. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. We have done things which are wrong. The Bible calls those things sins. And whenever we willingly sin, we are committing a trespass against the holiness of God. And because of that, we find ourselves enslaved to sin. But then God through His love, paid His debt. He paid our debt. He paid our debt 
through the blood of Christ, which satisfied the justice of the debt, and he also extended his grace to us and paid our debt according to, Paul says, the riches of his grace. Now think about the imagery here. God has poured out upon you the riches of his grace so that you might be freed from the spiritual bondage of slavery. In verse 8, he continues with this idea of the riches of his grace. And the scriptures say that he lavished on us. He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And here's the fourth blessing. In him, in Christ, we have wisdom and understanding of the will of God. You know, the world can be a confusing place. There's a lot of stuff in the world that I don't understand. I don't have all the answers to. The world can also be a painful place. And there's a lot of people today that as you walk in the door, truth be told, you're pretty miserable right now. Any of us that have ever lived any length of time have experienced the pain of this world. And sometimes we cry out and say, God, why don't you do something about the pain and suffering that's in this world? If you really study the scriptures, you discover that the scriptures are God's answer to the pain and suffering that is within this world. God has done something about the pain and suffering of this world. He has done something about the evil of this world. He has sent his son and his son ultimately came to redeem the human heart. Whenever Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus came back to him and said, my kingdom is not of this world because Jesus's target whenever he came the first time was to redeem the human heart. And he shed his blood and he extended his grace so that we might be transformed from the inside out. And the darkness of the heart of humankind can be transformed through the blood of Christ. And that is where we become a new creation. God has done something about evil in sending his son to transform the heart of you and me. But not only has God done something in the past, God is doing something today because God loves you so much that he does not allow you to stay just where you are. He transforms you. He grows you. He matures you so that your life might reflect his image. Your life might bring glory to him. And so he is growing you in him so that you might live your life in such a way that you reflect the image of God that is at work within you. And then not only has God done something, not only is God doing something, God will do something about evil as well. Because in many of our theologies, we have a truncated view of the end times. And we understand God so far as he relates to today. 
but we never think about the fact that a lot of Scripture refers to our hope that comes whenever we are in heaven or our hope that comes when Christ comes again. In your understanding of God, make sure that you develop an understanding of the reality that Jesus has said over and over and over again that He will return. Now, I don't have all the answers for exactly how Jesus is going to return and when He is going to return, but I do know that He will return. And when He returns, He will rid the world of evil and suffering, and the shalom that was fractured at creation will once again be restored so that we might live our lives in full freedom and experience the lavished riches of God's grace. In Christ, God has said, I do not want to be a detached deity. I do not want you to have to wonder about my love, to wonder about my goodness through the message of Christ. You may know me and you may be my child. So in Christ, we have wisdom. We have understanding of the will of God. Continue to verse 11. We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. Blessing number five, in Christ we have received a predestined inheritance. Question for you, how would your life be different if you knew that you had a billion dollars waiting for you in five years? How would your life be different? You say, well, I wouldn't change a thing. You liar. You would too. You'd change something. Now, maybe you'd keep the same house and hopefully you'd keep the same family and all that. But, you know, something would change if you knew that you had this abundant inheritance waiting for you. Well, the Scriptures teach us that God has established a will. In verse 11, it talks about in agreement with the decision of His will. And that the Spirit and the Son, uh, the One, has worked out to ensure that the fulfillment of His will will indeed take place. And in that will, God has declared that those who are in Christ will receive an eternal inheritance in heaven. So if you are in Christ, you you have received an inheritance in Christ, and according to the will of God, this will take place because God has made a decision that all who are in Christ will, be, will receive the riches of that inheritance. You're a trust fund kid, and you didn't even know it. The Trump kids don't have anything on you. <laughs> but I'm not talking about financial blessing or health necessarily. Beyond finances and health and the superficial, God has given you the inheritance of eternal life and the abundant riches of His kingdom. Now this leads us to our third question. How do I know that I am in Christ? How can you know that you are in Christ? Well, in verse 12, Paul writes, So that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to His glory. So all this happened so that we who have put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to His glory. 
And then in verse 13, he reflects back to that moment whenever they put their hope in the Messiah. He says in verse 13, whenever you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, you remember last week we looked at Romans 10 and the word of God came near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You heard the message of truth. You heard the story of Jesus. You heard the story of Bethlehem. You heard the story of how Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. You heard the story of how Jesus died on the cross for your sins, of how he overcame death in the grave at the resurrection. You heard the story of how Jesus called the church to go out and make disciples, the story of how Jesus ascended but is coming again. You heard the message of truth, the message of the gospel. And then the scriptures say, and when you believed in him, you placed your hope, you placed your faith, you believed in him. Now for me, that was whenever I was a six-year-old boy. I had heard the message of truth, but there was that moment where I realized my own sin, and I realized my need for forgiveness, and I believed in Jesus. It was December of 1977. As a little boy like that, I didn't understand all the ins and outs of theology, but I knew that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I understood that much, and the call of the Spirit was to believe in him. And so that night, I knelt beside my bed, and I believed in him. And if you've had that moment in your life where you truly believed in him, it's more than a magical prayer. It's more than just walking the aisle. It's more than just getting dunked. But if you had a conversion of the heart where you genuinely believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are spiritually in Christ and God sees you in Christ. And verse 13 ends with, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Whenever I was applying for seminary, it was graduate work, and so to get in, you had to provide your official college transcripts. Now, they couldn't be a copy of your transcripts, because if that were the case, then I could have just created some transcripts on my Commodore 64. It was the 90s, you know. But you had to have official college transcripts, because it needed to have the seal of the registrar, and that seal of the registrar showed authenticity. Well, in the same way, the authenticity of your salvation is the seal of the Holy Spirit. We can know that we are in Christ because of the Holy Spirit's presence upon us, because of His work within us. And so the evidence of your salvation will be the fruit of the Spirit within you. And the fruit of the Spirit is described in the book of Galatians as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, faithfulness, those things which display the fruit of the Spirit at work within us. Verse 14 says, He, talking about the Holy Spirit, is the down payment 
of our inheritance. Now remember a few verses back when we talked about the inheritance. The Holy Spirit that we have today, that's the down payment of our full inheritance that we will have in heaven for the redemption of the possession, which was me because I was a slave to my sin, to the praise of His glory. I receive the Spirit, I receive salvation, not for my own praise, not for my own glory, but for His glory. Now, you may have heard that my wife Stacy and I are expecting a baby, and we are getting to the point in the pregnancy where uh, she can feel a foot or she can feel a leg and see things moving in there. Now, don't you go touching her on the belly, okay? That's a, that's a pregnancy faux pas. People somehow want to touch a woman's belly. No, don't do that. But she can't. And we've had sonograms, and we can see glimpses of Camden on the sonogram. That's what we're going to name him. So there's lots of evidence that he's there. But he hasn't been born yet. Now, we anticipate that in about two and a half months, 69 days, if you want to be really, really precise, that we will meet Camden face to face. But he hasn't been born yet. One of the most frustrating things about salvation is that you only get a taste of it here on earth. Now, now don't get me wrong here. I mean, we experience the fullness of God's salvation, and we are redeemed, and our place in heaven is sealed by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time... We're still living within an environment that is stained by sin, and we still struggle with our own sin nature. But one day, one day we'll be face to face with Christ. And on that day, the Scriptures teach us that those who are in Christ will receive the full inheritance of what it means to be in Christ. And because of that, we will be holy and blameless. We will be fully welcomed As children of God, we will have redemption and forgiveness, understanding and wisdom, and we will be ushered in to the full inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. And so the passage ends with this little phrase, to the praise of his glory. So there I was, sitting beyond the waterfall, sitting by that mountain lake, And I began to see how it all flowed together. The snow would fall from the heavens. It would land on the mountains. The snow would then melt and run down the mountains. It would form streams. It would form lakes. Those would come together and they would form waterfalls. And eventually the water would all come together. And it would form a beautiful river which went throughout the city. And people would sit by the river. They would sit by the waterfall. And they would enjoy the blessings of creation. And it all came together up on top of the mountain where the snow flowed from the heavens. And so whenever I began to see this connectivity, there was this moment where the Holy Spirit just grabbed a hold of my heart, and there beside that mountain lake, I worshiped God to the praise of His glory. And when we think about the way in which our Heavenly Father has brought about our salvation and the blessings that we receive whenever we are in Christ, the only response for a child of God is to sing forth praises to our God in praise of His glory because you are sealed in Christ and He has poured out upon you the riches of 
His grace. He has lavished upon you His love. And you are His. You are His child in Christ. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Our heads are bowed as we stand, and I, I want to encourage the person that might be here today that's never had that moment in your life where you've believed in Christ as Savior and Lord. I want to encourage you to make today your moment. And you might call out to Christ right where you are, believing in Him as Savior and Lord. I would like to help you, encourage you in that decision. And so I would invite you to come and talk with me either during this next hymn or after the service. If you feel more comfortable, you can talk with your life group teacher or somebody that you know that walks closely with the Lord and tell them that you would like to believe in Christ. For others of us, as we came into the door today, you brought with you some burdens, some weights, And I want you to take advantage of this moment where we as a church family gather together to the praise of His glory. And we pray, we sing, we give, we serve. We love one another for the praise of His glory. And so for just a few moments, I want to encourage you to block out the distractions of this world and spend some time just praising your God because one of the beautiful things about being in Christ is that you may live with a singleness of purpose that transcends every area of life. That in your marriage, in your career, in your parenting, in the way that you treat others, the way that you see the world, you have one simple desire and that is the praise of His glory. And so I encourage you to praise Him this morning. Father, we thank You so much for the riches of your grace. May we find delight in you. May we sing to you, serve you, grow in you. May our lives be lived as an offering of praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.